Welcome to the Proteomics in Proximity podcast, where your co-hosts, Dale Yuzuki, Cindy Lawley, and Sarantis Klamidis from Olink Proteomics, talk about the intersection of proteomics with genomics for drug target discovery, the application of proteomics to reveal disease biomarkers, and current trends in using proteomics to unlock biological mechanisms. Here we have your hosts, Dale, Cindy, and Sarantis. Thank you for joining us on Proteomics and Proximity. I'm your host, Dale Yuzuki, with my co-host, Cindy Lolly, and our co-host, Sarantis Clematis. This afternoon, we're going to go ahead and talk about BRCA2 crisis. Sarantis, go right ahead. Thank you, Dale. Thank you, Cindy. Yeah, I mean, today I, I, I chose a paper from Snyder's lab uh, where it describes uh, the mechanism of action uh, in the cancer progression of the BRCA mutations. And I, I found it really interesting this paper because it goes to the details of molecular mechanism, how these mutations regulates, uh, let's say, cancer progression. We know BRCA2 is a famous target for breast cancer and ovarian cancer. There, we know that when it's mutated, uh, PARP proteins, they play the role of DNA repairing. And there are a lot of PARP inhibitors. Now also FDA approved that uh, for therapies, for cancer therapies. Now, uh, if I remember correctly, faction, yeah, I'm sorry. if I remember correctly, uh, Sarantis, uh, Bracket was involved in this sort of uh, DNA repair, right? Non-homologous exactly. DNA and repair, exactly. this sort of uh, keeping the integrity of the genome. And when people have, particularly women, have mutations in the bracket genes, they're, they're susceptible just because their DNA gets screwed up. Is, is that exactly. basically it? And, and it's men and women. I'll, yeah. Right. Yeah. And actually, um, recruits all the repair machinery, interacts with RAT51, where it's recombinase for the, for the homologous recombination repairing. Uh, but also has been shown recently, or quite recently, with a lot of papers that uh, helps of the dissolving of R loops. And our loops, as you may know, is hybrids of RNA DNA. We have it in our genome due replications, but also uh, during transcription. And when we have accumulation of our loops, we have a lot of uh, genome uh, instability and DNA breakages. Our uh, mm. BRCA function is actually to dissolve this and uh, maintain genome uh, integrity, genome integrity. On top of this, by dissolving this R loop formation helps pole two progression because this pole two, with this way, pole two can, can travel really nicely along the gene and we have expression. That means it has a really a multifunctional role in the genome by regulating gene expression directly, but also interfere with the R loop formation and the genome stability. It's a great, it's a great protein actually. Wow. And this particular paper you're pointing to in Cell Reports, this is from Mike Snyder's group, right? Yes. Chromatin remodeling in response to BRCA2 crisis. So what exactly was Josh Gruber. Yeah, Josh, Josh Gruber, Gruber and, yeah, and Mike Snyder. Yeah, yeah, 2019. Yeah, it's from 2019. And what was the problem they were trying to solve? Actually, they wanted to see... Uh, what is the situation? What are the epigenetic mechanisms together with the genetic mutation that uh, create carcinogenesis? They use an in vitro model by transit depleting uh, BRCA2. And this is, was really clever tool because so far a knockout mice or a permanent depletion of BRCA2 creates uh, cell arrest and death, and it's not easy to study under these conditions, obviously, the effects of the protein. Uh, they created transient transfection 
plasma depletion of the BRCA2 and then let the cells recover. And by this, they can see which epigenetic marks that can be deposited and which genes are regulated by this, let's say, epigenetic mechanism through BRCA. So changes uh, in changes in expression of those genes. Changes in yeah. expression, changes in epigenetics, and uh, by having so the cells growing in the EGF-free medium, they have an assay for carcinogenesis because, as you know, cancer creates proliferation, and this assay, by sowing over-proliferations in BRCA2 crisis cells, they were able to assess carcinogenesis, the early carcinogenesis steps in cells. And you mentioned EGF-free medium, but it becomes important due to the dependency, is that correct? Dependency yes, yes. of cancer cells for EGF and EGF yes, receptor yes, pathway? Yes, yes. Actually, I mean, normal cells, they need the EGF also to grow, right? The, but uh, the cancer cells, without the EGF, they can overgrow and they can overpass this, you know? And that was a, a model to assess carcinogenesis in this uh, vitro system that they have generated. And as you can imagine, BRCA2 creates carcinogenesis through epigenetic mechanisms. And what kind of epigenetic mechanisms did they go ahead and take a look at? Yeah, they're, it's really nice because uh, they check different angles. They check uh, that they first look at DNA methylation. And DNA methylation per se, it didn't create so much difference when they imitate BRCA2. Then they go with ATAC-seq. And ATAC-seq is an assay that originally uh, created uh, by a Greenleaf's lab, where with this assay, we can measure differential accessibility of the chromatin. Uh, in few words, I mean, there's transposase-based, where you have barcodes. By activating the transposase, we have integration of the barcodes in the open chromatin region and sequence the open chromatin region. That means we can assess which regions are get differentially open upon different treatments, in that case, uh, BRCA to depletion. So if I and understand ATAC-seq, you mentioned that the methylation status didn't give you differential methylation, but ATAC-seq showed you which was open. Is that histone-dependent then? Exactly. This could be both. I mean, it could be histone-dependent, could be noconic RNA-dependent, could be transcription factor-dependent, right? Uh, and then the next step of their study was to understand if there were some connection with a histone marks. As you know, histone acetylations connected to the opening of the chromatin. They check a series of histone acetylations. Here, parenthesis, there were some studies showing that BRCA2 has acyl transferase activity also at the level of histones. <laughs> it was wow. really, it's really, it's really amazing Bad. what this protein does. It's actually. a complex system. Yeah. Absolutely. Getting at the functional genomics here is amazing. To, to repeat, you said that BRCA has histone acetylation activity. Yeah, it's it's okay. there is a, a, a there are a paper nocogen I think that they have seen that has a cell transferase activity, uh, and uh, or is connected to let's say histone acetylation somehow. It's it's crazy. Yeah, it's it's really crazy. And um, by having Western blots different histone with different histone marks, they see that most affected is H four K five acetylation and H four. K12 acetylation. Actually, by depleting BRCA2, the levels of these uh, marks in EGF-free medium, they're getting high. And uh, you have actually hypertranscription of certain genes. Hmm. But uh, with RNA-seq... 
Yeah, which we can imagine would, yeah, would manifest, hopefully, I mean, logically manifest as protein differences in, in those tissues. Yeah. Absolutely. And then they check uh, RNA-seq levels and they see nice correlation with BRCA2 binding by ChIP-seq, H4K12 acetylation, and expression of the gene. That means that BRCA2 through H4K12 acetylation and H4K5 acetylation regulates gene expression. And when we have depletion of BRCA2, we have misregulation of certain genes. A lot of these genes, I have to say, that they are connected, as you can imagine, to cell cycle, to signaling, you know. And of course, by misregulating this gene, you enhance and you create cancer at the end. Right? That's that's the the thing. So as far as then this global gene expression, was it hundreds? Was it thousands of transcripts? Yeah, of different types of they- genes. Yeah, they were like, initially they see with RNA seq, I think they were like uh, thousands of genes, like 3,000 or that, misregulated or that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> On top of this, there's also a crosstalk with NF-kappa-B. You know, they see that uh, the depletion of BRCA2 leads to NF-kappa-B activation. And, now, help uh, me. Help me, I, I, maybe it's been too long a time since I've studied immunology, right? NF-kappa B is a key molecule. It's a good cortical, regulates the expression of cytokinase, among other yes. things. Yeah. And when it's activated, it's translocated to, to the nucleus, binding to a key immunoresponse genes, interleukins, uh, chemokines, you know, and of course, it's a master regulator, let's say, if we can say about about that. Mm. And they have seen that uh, NF-kappa B is regulated. We have transcription, over transcription of cytokinase, but nicely using proteomics approach, they close the circle and they see that not only you have a hypertranscription of cytokinase, but also secretion of the cytokinase in the well, well, hang, hang on. So we're not talking about immune cells. We're talking about mammalian, I'm sorry, epithelial, human breast exactly. epithelial cells. Non-transformed so epithelial cells. Yes. So this is a BRCA2 induced situation, kind of like a exactly. loss of heterozygosity situation. We have a single copy of BRCA2 gene that was sort of induced. And exactly. what you're telling me is that BRCA2 is affecting, is it the K? K12 uh, acetylation? K12 and K5. Okay, K5 acetylation that turns on NF-kappa B that then turns on cytokine production? Cytokine, cytokine production, yeah. And they, they see it by, by screening like 90, a panel of 92 cytokines in the media of the cells. And they were able to see that seven of them, they are hyper hyper-present, hyper-transcribed, and hyper-produced. And it was really was nice this? phenotype. It was really nice phenotype, phenotypically to show the effect of BRCA2 on the cytokine production. Now, why would a breast, a mammalian breast cell produce cytokines? I mean, m- maybe I'm stuck on that as far I, as I, it, a- activating the immune system. I think through an, this is coming through NF-kappa-B, right? This is coming through, through NF-kappa-B, actually. And I'm, yes, I'm guessing because uh, uh, BRCA2 creates a lot of misregulation of genes, but also I could imagine that you have some DNA damage also that is 
information. And they have and they yeah. haven't assessed all that. They haven't gone on that. They haven't really checked in the details uh, which type of habits they may have created that also create a stimulus to production of cytokinase, right? I, I'm guessing. I'm guessing. And how do they determine it was NF kappa B that was turned on? Was that again through <laughs> RNA data? Yeah, through our, they see that the genes that they regulate that are misregulated with BRCA2, a lot of them has been reported that they regulate NF kappa B from previous studies that ah, they have done. And then they just went it. to see what is the situation with NF kappa B. That was the I see. That was the and then that's there. and that was where Olink came in was that they were able to measure the cytokines just from the cell supernatant. Exactly, exactly. And so phenotypically the effect on the cell and how this may interfere with cell progression, gain cancer progression, and potential metastasis in the future, right? Yeah. And then I, I guess the bottom line then as far as discovering this particular model, how can that be then further applied to potential treatment or perhaps yeah. a diagnostic? I mean, is that... I think uh, first... I think we have to say here that they didn't stay only to this in vitro model. They check also in vivo and they see for patient samples, they have checked uh, that they have exactly the same effects at the level of gene expression. And the genes that they are highly expressed in mutant patients, they are the same in the BRCA crisis cells. That means, and there is also increase of H4, K5, and K2 acetylation in these genes. That's, that's the mechanism that they see also in vivo. And really nicely also, they make a xenograph model and they can see that BRCA2 crisis cells growth in HGF3 medium, they have bigger tumors and uh, really oh. a metastatic, they see really a metastatic and tumor growth effect at the end. But Mr. Xenograph, is there... Okay. Oh, I was just going to ask, is there a, a proposed mechanism by which this might get turned on, right? Because presumably the state, the genetic state of BRCA someone has through their lifetime, at some point, for some reason, uh, carcinogenesis is started. There's this, you know, lack of dissolving of this 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 component. And I'm just wondering if, if you have any thoughts, and I don't think they mentioned it in the paper, you know, what might turn on such a mechanism? I think it's a, it's a difficult question. <laughs> I, well, I, and definitely, I wouldn't have... Definitely, <laughs> for sure. Definitely, I think there's more than one mechanism here. I, I don't yeah. think that it's only H4K12 acetylation. I don't think that's only chromatin related. I think it's also pool 2 as I mentioned before, yeah. uh, hybrids, loop formation, tip 60. I think there's yeah. a, a, a set of information and a set of mechanisms that may interfere. But it was really surprising and astonishing that through stock with NF-kappa-B and the, K, and the acetylation of the histones. And I think this is the novelty that they bring in this in this aspect. And coming back to your question, uh, Dale, in regards how we can use this information for prognosis or for for mm. uh, for treatment, treatment, I think knowing down the, the that there are a lot of mechanisms epigenetic that interfere with BRCA2, I think we can combine in the future uh, drugs that they, that uh, are, for example, against the methylation or against acetylations, right? And we can have combined cancer treatments, for example. Uh, give us a little bit of new ways of thinking of how we can target these mechanisms. Yeah. yeah the challenge, right, is epigenetic modifiers, there's only a handful of them on market, if I understand, in terms of druggable targets. Do you have any comment on that in terms of drugs that target 
sort of epigenetic effects for health rather than sort of other conventional drug targets? I think uh, there, as far as I know, there are very few drugs FDA approved, the epigenetic drugs. I know that the field is expanding and there are a lot of works uh, out there, but people, uh, they're working on that. And one of the problems is that this, these enzymes, they don't have only single targets, like they can either modify histones, but also can modify proteins, right? Yeah, delivery to the right place. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm guessing that they have a lot of toxicity effects that they may have to, to, to mediate. Have to, yeah. yeah, exactly. That's, that's one of my, of my, of my thoughts on that. But, uh, definitely I know that it's an active work and a lot of people they're looking on that. And, uh, I hope mm -hmm. uh, things will get better in the future with more small molecules inhibitors and, uh, against the enzymes, epigenetic enzymes. Okay. Well, thank you, Sarantis, for sharing your thoughts today. Thank you very and being much. willing to speculate on you know Thank some of the aspects that weren't covered in the paper, right? Because this is a, it's such a, a fascinating area where we've had advances in diagnostics, certainly advances in treatment, uh, and and genetics has has played some part in that, of course. But uh, but to really understand the mechanism, you know, a clever system like this is is it's and then the amazing insights to get functional biology. Right, yeah, to overlay RNA-seq data and then look at open exactly. chromatin, looking exactly. at histone modifications, yeah. and then getting down to network effects around NF-kappa B and exactly, exactly right where the cytokines are exactly. playing a role. Yeah. You know, that aspect of multi-omics, I mean, it's here to stay, the very and, fact and that these tools are available. And here's to Mike Snyder's team for, for spearheading multi-omics in a way that few Absolutely. others have as, as early as, as his team has, has done this. This is, yeah, intense, Super. incredible. Well, until next time, take care. Thank you. Thank Thanks. you very okay. much. All right. Thank nice you. job, Sarantis. Thank you for listening to the Proteomics in Proximity podcast, brought to you by Olink Proteomics. To contact the hosts or for further information, simply email info at olink.com. Oh,